0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. A year ago, something big was happening on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. People were getting banned, like hundreds of thousands of them. At the time, the United States was still reeling after the January 6th riots, and these companies realized that they couldn't just keep kicking the can down the road when it came to dealing with extremists. The crackdown has been called the Great Deplatforming, and it affected everyone from violent militia groups to Donald Trump. Recode senior correspondent Shereen Ghaffari has been following this story for months, and she joins us now.
0: If you go back to the lead up to the 2020 elections in the US and you think about all the groups that were starting to really gain wider reach and influence online, there was QAnon, Boogaloos, Oath Keepers. People were starting to worry that these groups were potentially organizing violence or spreading conspiracy theories that could be dangerous to the election. Some were calling for these groups to be all out banned because they were worried about the risk of political violence, others thought that may be too extreme to take them down, and then all All this tension sort of came to a head on January 6th, when the violence that occurred on that day, egged on by Donald Trump, was reason for sort of the pinnacle of the great deplatforming to happen, which was Twitter and Facebook banned uh, President Trump's accounts. But they didn't just ban Trump. It's important to remember they banned all these other extremist groups right before and after that.
1: Who did they ban? What's happened in the year since?
0: Probably the number one was QAnon. Twitter banned something like 70,000 accounts associated with QAnon back in January, 2021. And then since then, they've taken down another 100,000 accounts. Facebook has banned up to now 140,000. They also took down a bunch of uh, militia groups. So these are people like the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters. And these are the kinds of groups that were associated with the organizing that led to the Capitol riot. It was a pretty massive sweep. That being said, a lot of people criticize these companies for taking that action too late and people could you know, migrate
1: to other platforms.
0: But that being said, uh, that was a large action that the companies thus far have been reluctant to take.
1: Now, before we get to whether deplatforming these people and groups actually succeeded in curbing extremism online, can you first explain why deplatforming is so powerful and so controversial?
0: Well, yeah, deplatforming is really the strongest tool that social media companies can wield when they're trying to minimize the threat of anything harmful that happens on their platform, including you know, anti-democratic violence in this case. It's the strongest tool because unlike just putting up a label or warning someone, that person is totally gone, right? They have to go to another platform. And while there are alternatives, like you can go to, let's say, Parler if you're kicked off of Twitter, they're not going to have the same scale that Facebook or a Twitter has. Nearly 3 billion people use Facebook, 2 billion use YouTube, 400 million people use Twitter. When you look at something like Gab or Parler, those numbers are in the you know single digit millions at most. So it's hard to find any other platform that's gonna have that scale.
1: So the great deplatforming happened, did it work?
0: Well, the answer is kind of. It didn't eliminate extremism entirely, obviously. QAnon's still around. These militia groups are still there. But it did work in terms of it really reduced their reach in mainstream online society. So if you're just, you know, the average yoga loving mom who's logging into Facebook or a teenager who's following some political pundits like Ben Shapiro on Twitter, you're less likely now to see an overt militia group Twitter account or Facebook account. Doesn't mean it doesn't still happen sometimes, but you know, many, many of those accounts that once had huge followings are just gone. On the other hand, you do still see um, some of these people, you know, these extremists who follow these violent groups go off into these darker corners of the internet where extremism can sort of thrive in the shadows in smaller groups. And what some studies have shown is that actually when people go to these smaller groups, um, they can become more extreme in their beliefs in some cases.
1: So you mentioned that some Twitter users went to Parlor, but where else are these smaller groups gathering online?
0: So they're also going to places like Gab, which has an estimated 4 million users. Um, and again, all these platforms, especially Gab, is known for having really lax content, almost no, basically content moderation. So you can sort of say whatever. Um, Telegram is also a hugely, hugely popular space. It's more like a messaging app than social media. Uh, It's really popular worldwide, mostly outside the US, but it's picking up followers here as well. And that we were seeing a lot of the far right uh, groups like Proud Boys active on Telegram.
1: Well, do you have an idea of how getting booted from the major platforms impacted the influence of these groups online?
0: It's hard to build or sustain a popular movement when you're not on the popular platforms. So, you know, researchers did a study when Twitter banned influencers, and this was before the great deplatforming, but it's sort of a similar phenomenon where you had these, you know, star influencers like Milo Yiannopoulos and Alex Jones, and they were starting to say hateful or violent or sort of harassing people online. In the case of Alex Jones, for example, he was starting to harass um, a survivor of the Sandy Hook shooting and um, spouting this conspiracy theory that the Sandy Hook shooting was staged or not real. And once Twitter went so far as to actually ban Alex Jones, uh, what they found was that not only did the number of followers of those people obviously decrease on social media, less people were talking about them on on social media, on Twitter, but that people were talking less about their ideas, like that Sandy Hook conspiracy theory that Alex Jones was sort of one of the number one propagators of. All of a sudden, mentions of that theory started to drop on Twitter. So in that way, if your goal is to reduce conversation about this one extremist idea, it worked. However, another study also found that users in a different scenario who moved from a mainstream platform to a fringe platform Uh, once they were booted, they started to post more on that new platform and that their toxicity levels actually increased on average.
1: So it sounds like there's a pretty tricky trade-off here with deplatforming. In the short term, it can be helpful, but it doesn't eliminate extremism or extremists. In fact, putting them in echo chambers might make the problem worse.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really hard to say. Overall, um, you know, what one One expert told me, Cassie Miller from the Southern Poverty Law Center, who she follows Proud Boys and other extremist groups, she said, look, deplatforming works, but we have to accept that there's no silver bullet. You might reduce the size of the extremist communities, but possibly at the expense of making the remaining members of those communities even more extreme. So... If your simple short-term goal is to sort of defang these groups' power and ability to recruit new followers at scale on your platform, if you're the CEO of Twitter or Facebook and you don't want this group adding to their roster on on your company's watch, it is an effective way. We didn't see them sort of come back in the same numbers back to Twitter or Facebook. However, it's not going to solve the problem. There's always other corners of the internet these people can turn to. And the groups start to morph their identities, even on the mainstream platforms, They can join private groups on Facebook or make private Twitter accounts. There's all kinds of ways and loopholes. So the results are mixed and the real problems of solving extremism run much, much deeper than social media. But it is interesting to see that as a first line of defense, it it did have some effectiveness.
1: Well, this feels like the worst game of whack-a-mole ever. Yep. What are experts saying about, uh, you know, any blind spots we might have when it comes to tracking how extremist groups are organizing?
0: So they're really worried about what's happening in these smaller groups and smaller channels. So particularly stuff that's going undetected like Facebook groups and private Twitter accounts and major social media platforms, even though they have these rules and they did these big sweeps, they still sometimes you know fail to, to find people who are finding these loopholes and ways around it. Facebook, as recently as early January, Facebook's recommendation algorithm was still promoting uh, to some users militia content posted by groups such as the Three Percenters whose members have been charged with conspiracy in the Capitol riot. That was from a report from the Tech Transparency Project. And then also people are really just worried about what what's going on on those alternative sites that have no rules or way fewer rules like Parler or Gab. You know, a Cassie Miller, who I mentioned earlier at the Southern Poverty Law Center, was saying that Proud Boys have a huge presence on Telegram and they're recruiting new members there and they do it in local chapters. So there's this higher risk of smaller scale and more extreme kind of organizing that can happen there.
1: Well, to talk about Facebook specifically, it sounds like Facebook banned over 100,000 uh, accounts and groups, but it still has a private group problem like the public can't see what's happening in the groups, and it turns out bad things are happening and Facebook isn't catching it? How How does the company respond?
0: Meta, the parent company of Facebook, they did take down some of those groups that were identified in the tech transparency projects report. And more broadly, they said that you know their policies in setting uh, stricter standards about banning extremist groups and taking down some of those groups I mentioned, that it did overall help reduce the volume of violent and hateful speech on their platform. So they've been doing internal research on this, and they have come to sort of the same conclusion that outside experts have come to, which is that, again, deplatforming hateful groups can be effective to minimize conversation about those extremist ideologies that they're discussing. Twitter didn't go into as much detail, um, didn't decline to comment about exactly what the impact has been of their massive deplatforming of these extremist groups. But uh, they have sort of touted these actions as examples that they are taking this threat seriously and continue to.
1: Well, it sounds like we know that deplatforming can work if social media companies are willing to take the step. And we've also seen social media companies have a hard time making that call.
0: Right. The question is whether these rules are going to be applied equally. So, you know, when you're a neo-Nazi or you are a extremist QAnon leader and you're you're posting stuff online, then it may be easy to ban that person. Um, but if you are like a mainstream politician or you are a major you know media figure and you say something that sort of crosses the line between being extremist or not, that's where you get into a really great area for these social media companies about whether or not they should actually go so far as to ban the person. And you have to remember that extremist ideology conspiracy theories have been on the rise in U.S. politics over the past few years, that extremism in some ways has become more mainstream. One in four Americans say violence against the government is sometimes justified. The majority of Republicans say they believe the 2020 election was stolen from former President Trump. And we have the 2022 elections approaching. That is where we're going to see a real pressure test for these social media companies, because there are at least 36 candidates, according to a recent Business Insider report, who are running for Congress who openly believe in QAnon. And you know, if they're out there tweeting or posting on Facebook all the time during the campaign and saying uh, QAnon-related conspiracy theories or taglines or whatever, it's, it's going to be, again, a tougher call and with more potential political consequences for Facebook and Twitter to start uh, banning those accounts. And conservatives have long claimed that these tech companies are biased against them. And so Twitter and Facebook are always facing that pressure, right, to not seem like they're favoring one party over the other if they do go ahead and start banning or deplatforming some of these political candidates who are from one party. You know, as Jared Holt, who is an extremism researcher at the Atlantic Council, told me, As more mainstream figures are saying the types of things that normally extremists were the ones saying online, that's where the weak spot is.
1: Well, Shereen, I have to ask, you've been covering this since before the 2020 election, and there was a time when it felt like social media companies weren't going to do anything at all. But now things are a little bit different. Do you have reason to hope that things are not going to get as bad as they were in the lead up to 2020 in the next couple of years?
0: Well, I do think now they have a precedent for dealing with this problem. Before, they had never really deplatformed political leaders, and they had not taken down these kinds of conspiracy theory groups like QAnon on such a massive scale. I think now that they've done it once, they're definitely more likely to do it again. But the, the problems have exponentially grown in terms of the number of powerful people who may be saying things that are potentially violent Splat out wrong or dangerous online. So they've gotten a little bit better at solving this problem, but the problem has grown <laughs> much, much bigger. So we'll see how it all shakes out.
1: Shireen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon. Christian Ayala is our engineer, and I'm Adam Clark Estes email us at ricodailyatricode.net if you have any thoughts on the show or any topics you think we should cover. And if you feel like leaving us a rating or a review wherever you listen, we'd all really appreciate it. Thanks and see you tomorrow.